you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring special guest who's really patient with me, Miss Erin Jacobson. Or as one of the guys in the question said, Attorney Erin. Attorney Jacobson. Yeah, like it's extra applause. Fake band, thank you, fake audience. Welcome, real guests. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Good to have you back. Yeah, glad to be back. So, Aaron has done the road rally twice. Twice. And yeah. been on the show. This is your yeah, second time. Second time on the show. And she yeah. came back. I came back, <laughs> amazingly. I remember last time you were here, somebody commented on, I think it was on YouTube, and they said the look on her face when he started playing the music was priceless. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> Nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> People are in shock. Anyway, I want to tell you guys, uh, I'll read you the short bio on Aaron. She's a music attorney whose clients include Grammy and Emmy Award winners, legacy clients, and that means old people generally, and catalog songwriters, music publishers, record labels, and independent artists and companies. She's based in LA and she handles a wide variety of music agreements and negotiations in addition to owning and overseeing all operations for Indie Artist Resource, IndieArtistResource.com, yes. right? So they can get there that way. Right. What's your website? My website is TheMusicIndustryLawyer.com. And that you are. Um, and Indie Artist Resource is a great site. I was actually on it yesterday. The Independent Musicians Resource for Legal and Business Protection. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let me get the chat room open. Okay, without the chat open. Basically, yeah. while you're doing that, I'll say what Indie Artist Resource does differently Absolutely. from my practice. So my and do your yeah. legal disclaimer thing. Yes. Okay, <laughs> we'll do that. Okay. Don't miss that. Um, so first, we'll do the disclaimer. So the disclaimer is that anything I say on this show is not legal advice. There's no attorney-client relationship created between me or anyone watching the show. And unless you actually are my client watching the show, <laughs> which I think there are, there are some um, that are watching. But um, yeah, if you have a legal issue, consult an attorney license in your state and don't rely or not rely on anything that... I'm, you know, act or not act based on anything that I'm saying. She doesn't my, know what the hell she's talking life. about. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, so, she does. so that's a disclaimer. Basically, hire an attorney if you need if you need um, assistance. We're just talking general information. And I'm you could get today. an attorney that would be based in Los Angeles because you'd probably need. Are you admitted in the New York bar or no, just California? No, I'm uh, only in California, California bar, but I have clients everywhere and we can associate with other attorneys uh, if we need to. Yeah. That's how you do it. So, uh, oh, and you wanted, okay. did you do the uh, no. Indie Artist Resource thing? No. So basically, um, how Indie Artist Resource is different from my regular law practice is that Indie Artist Resource is an e commerce website with templates that I've drafted, contract templates, that are most commonly needed by independent musicians or writers, and if you're in a position where you're not quite ready for an attorney, can't quite afford an attorney, you can go on IndieArtistResource.com, download whatever templates you need that are... Uh, Does everybody do that first? They download the template for nine ninety five or whatever it costs and then call you up and go, well, this doesn't really work because it's not applicable to my situation because, and then they have to hire you for like, Sometimes that yeah. happens. I mean, templates are templates. They cannot cover everything. That right. My templates cover the majority of what needs to be covered in you know basic situations. But, um, but yeah, sometimes people say, you know what, I really need this because there's 
something going on with my specific situation right. and then we have to tweak it for them. So. How often do you ever see cases, uh, in the music world in particular, I know you do various kinds mm -hmm. of entertainment law, but No, how, I do pretty much all music. Just music, yeah. okay. Yeah. How often does something make it to a courtroom? Not that often. I um, mean, like, ever? Well, my clients so far, <laughs> <laughs> knock on wood, because um, I like to keep them out of court. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we try and settle things and make the problem go away before we get to court, because it's a lot of expense, and sometimes you don't know what you're going to get in a courtroom, and, you know, a lot of these problems can be solved if you can just get everybody on one page and somebody's going to end up writing a check to somebody else and we make the problem go away. <laughs> Do you ever watch the show Billions on Showtime? I don't watch that now. If any of you out there in TV land are watching Michael's Billions, <laughs> yeah, it's really, really, really good. And uh, they just had a, a really good court case last yeah. night. It's not all about court stuff, but one of the characters is a... I think the no, district attorney, uh, the Southern District in New York. Anyway, okay. big, powerful attorney and very, very good show. And maybe some of the most realistic courtroom stuff I've ever seen. Not that I've ever personally been in a courtroom, mind you. Never. Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> uh, oh, I also... What are, <laughs> what are these? <laughs> these are actually emery boards. I wanted right. tongue depressors, and we couldn't get the tongue depressors. So, well, you know, if I need to... File my yeah. nail while we're doing this. You can this, use my slides. Yeah, there <laughs> so the, the staff is always telling me you have to mm -hmm. remind people to subscribe. So for those of you who are watching this after the live show on YouTube, subscribe. Click the button that looks like that. And you know what else? Hit the like button. Like button. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> Expensive props, but you know us. We waste or we spare no expense. <laughs> None whatsoever. All right, so welcome all you guys, Ken DePotter, hey. Toon Smith, Jesse, J. Peck, uh, Dave Skinner, Can Greg Vaughn. Can make that bigger? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I never figured out how to do that, and it's fine when it's just me, okay. but I know, uh, yeah, the older I get, the farther away that seems to go. <laughs> um, I guess, you know what, we can probably dolly in. Yeah, that's a little better. <laughs> just move it, move the computer closer. Yeah, there you go. Jazz Stan. Stan. Hello, you guys. Dave Skinner. Oh, Stan's there. You know Stan? I do know Stan. Stan's a great guy. Yeah. He I know, helped I know us get. Group really? <laughs> yes. Stan, Stan helped us get um, Angel, who is our CFO. Okay. Um, he was instrumental in yeah. me hiring her. So okay, thank good. you, Stan. She's the one that sends me all my information yeah. for the rally. <laughs> she is my right arm, yeah. my left lung, yeah. and my other wife. <laughs> she really is. She's like having a second wife. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, oh, I already had a little note. Opinions expressed during this episode or in any edited segments of this episode of Taxi TV do not constitute legal advice. Um, okay, so let's start out with, with one of my favorites. And I get asked this quite frequently, and I've dealt with this on other shows, royalty-free music libraries. Right. And I mentioned to Aaron, I think over the weekend or last week, that I saw a forum online with a bunch of indie filmmakers, and they're all like, where do I get free music, and where do I get royalty-free music? They don't understand what, royalty, what royalties are. As independent filmmakers, they think that if their film 
you know, gets picked up at Sundance, that they're going to be shelling out money for the rest of their lives every time it plays on television mm -hmm. uh, or a theater because they right. don't know any better. So right. um, they are not with it. They don't know. And then from mus the musician perspective, they see libraries, production music libraries online and go, do I want to be in a, in a royalty-free library? Doesn't that mean I'm going to get nothing? Right. So lay it on them. Okay. Well, on the filmmaker side... Yeah, there's no performance royalty in theater in the U.S. There are performance ro royalties in theaters outside the U.S. So Pretty if, much everywhere but here, right? right? right. <laughs> we got screwed on well, that. Well, we do, you know, <laughs> metric system, inches, right. whatever. <laughs> We're a little different in some ways. But, um, so yeah, so there's performance royalties in theaters outside the U.S. Here, there are... They're, the performance royalties are going to come into play if the film's on TV, if it's you know maybe streamed online, things like that. But those are going to be paid by the production companies, the networks, the not the know, guy the who site, wrote the film the and held the, the 4K film. family right. so, camera. I mean, it might protect against if you have a videogram license or you're uh, licensing for you know you're selling DVDs or downloads or something. You know maybe you're not having to pay for that royalties right. going forward, but, but the performance is, royalties are taken care of. But which the, is the, the lion's share, right? What's the uh, the, the performance royalties would be the right. lion's share of any royalties. Yeah, I mean, because, yeah, I mean, if, if you're getting a really good airtime, it's, you know, it's prime time, it's all that kind of stuff, it's, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a pretty decent payment, and especially if the film gets replayed and there's a lot of reruns, but... Um, you know, the, the point is, I, I get asked all the time, not only, not as much for royalty-free, but fair use. Mm -hmm. Filmmakers are always like, especially documentarians, but it, it's fair use. Can I use it for fair use? And I'm like, just pay for the music. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to pay for it. It's not fair use. What constitutes so, fair use? I, yeah. I've actually, I was going to ask you that question oh, okay. at dinner tonight, but I'll okay. ask you now. Okay. Um, I, I get YouTube shutting yeah. down the audio on some of my shows because mm -hmm. I've played songs uh, to educate people to say this is how so and so does their beats. Yeah. And, and YouTube, of course, the, the bot picks it up and it. Right. Well, it's the episode. Yeah, Isn't I that mean, fair my, use if it's educational? Well, it would. There are different factors. There's four factors for okay. fair use. One of them is is it go looks at is it educational? Is it commercial? Things like that. My guess is that YouTube is probably just flagging everything that's not. Right. You know, not. Yeah, already like, attributed to you. So, um, so they're being kind of overly cautious, so they don't have to deal with an issue. But could you make the argument that it's educational? You're not profiting off it. You're not. Hopefully, you're not playing the entire song. Maybe it's just a little snippet. So things like that will point more towards fair use than not. And how would but, I go about convincing YouTube? Just call up Mr. U or Mr. Tube and say, "Hey, it's Lasco, right. and, and I'm doing all these things in a very kosher way." And they'll be like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, but the thing is just that fair use is a defense. It's not, 
it's not affirmative. Like you can't say, oh, I'm using this because it's fair use. Basically you have to wait till you get sued and then go, but it was fair use. And so really they don't even have like an appeal board at YouTube. Please turn my audio right. back on. Well, no, you can dispute a claim. Yeah. Um, so, but whether they'll <laughs> listen to you or not is a whole other story. And I'm sure they've got yeah. one guy in a closet sized office with no window and he's the claim dispute dude. Yeah. And, and they're probably like a hundred thousand claims a day. And it's like, Hey, yeah. it's me. Subscribe. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so screwed. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, I actually looked up a definition yeah. of royalty-free libraries it. from Wikipedia, and this is from Wikipedia, which is like the Torah of information. Right. It the has myth. to be true if it's right. on Wikipedia. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> With the proliferation of music libraries in recent years and the increase in competition, some smaller libraries have evolved the royalty-free music model. These libraries do not charge their customers, meaning the people who are the end users of the music, for licensing the music. Instead, the customers purchase a CD or access to an electronic collection of the music, priced typically between 50 and 300 bucks. How do they know that? Um, whose content is licensed in perpetuity. That means forever. forever. Uh, That's one of our words. Yes, it's, it's a very famous word around yeah. here. Um, in perpetuity for them to synchronize as often as they wish. These libraries depend mainly on performance royalties, which we just spoke about, for their income, with a small amount of the income from the sales of CDs or the electronic files. So assuming that the music is broadcast, that means shown on a TV station, we'll talk about the internet and how that plays into it later, royalties are paid on the music. Now, understand, that's a performance royalty, not mm -hmm. like a record royalty. Correct. Though it is a broadcaster, is the broadcaster who pays them via annual fees, which is what Aaron said a moment ago, uh, to the performing rights societies, not the producer who uses the music in his or her production. Some companies offer truly royalty-free music. This sounds like it's going to be bad for musicians. Yeah. Some companies offer truly royalty-free music, which is not registered with any of the performing rights organizations, also known as royalty collection agencies. I guess that's outside of the U.S. The companies license music to their customers on a non-exclusive basis, uh, where it can be used in perpetuity without any usage reporting. The music is licensed by the customers according to an accepted license agreement. I guess that would be a direct license, right? Right. Well, the thing is you have to, if, if you're a filmmaker that's buying royalty-free music, you have to look at the terms of the music that you're buying because it might be subject to performance royalties, and in that case, it might not be registered with a PRO, but you as the producer, if you're putting it on your website or whatnot, you might be responsible for the performance royalties if the writers who have licensed to that library or transferred to that library have not given up that right. So you have to look at what you're actually buying. I mean, it's So somebody who has one of these truly royalty-free libraries and really isn't that sharp, they don't have the, like, well, they, they look, can I, copy yeah. and paste the contract because no. they weren't smart enough right. to go to you. Well, that happens. So I know. That, well, I mean, me. I, I, and I usually, as soon as that, gets on my desk, I look at it and I go, <laughs> cut and paste, okay, what internet site did they pull this from? And yeah, I can tell really easily, and there's been situations where I've represented not royalty-free libraries, but other libraries and who have just newly come to me and, and they're trying to license performance royalties 
directly and I'm asking them, do you have the right to do that? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, let me see the agreement you have with your writers because we need to know that before you start going and granting direct performance. Let's see. I stole paragraph one from this company. Paragraph two came from that company. And I don't know what's in the agreement. Yeah. Okay. It happens. (laughs) I bet it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, We get to see a lot of fun things. I bet you do. (laughs) So there you go. In the end, um, you know, there, there are legitimate royalty-free right. libraries that sell the stuff on disk yeah. or in a file, and it didn't mention in here whether or not they disseminate a proportionate amount of that right. revenue to the well, people who's that's, music. that's the other side of it, um, which is because so many taxi members are composers or writers. Right. Again, you need to know what you're signing because you might not, you know, maybe you get an upfront fee and it's a flat fee and it's a buyout and that's it. And maybe you're not sharing in any of the CD sales going forward. Which would be the case oftentimes because I see it often in blanket licenses where a library will say, here, all you can eat 5,000 pieces of music and then they don't disseminate any of that um, blanket fee back to the writers. Right. And I mean, I think, you know, if anybody's See me, people that have seen me at the road rally or watched our previous episode. I'm always the advocate for no, writers got to get paid. And so I'm not really a fan of these buyout licenses unless really these are some tracks that you got sitting on a hard drive that are doing nothing that you're never going to do anything with, that you don't care, and you're like, fine, if they give me. You know, a little check for it, fine. I mean, I, I wouldn't give your best word. <laughs> well, nobody should. I, you can't ever say no. always or ever. Right, but you can make I, a blanket statement. But yeah. yes, there's some libraries that I I know the owners. They're very yeah. hardworking. They're very right. honest, reputable right. people. I would give them a hundred percent of my publishing for no money, if it wasn't something that I could also pitch to Beyonce or somebody right. for a record. Yeah, you know, if it's going to lay there like a lock. It, yeah you said in so many words why not uh there are other people who give you 200 or 300 or 500 bucks up front to buy the publisher's share but you've got to always keep the writer's share yeah um and you can't make the same deal with different people right i mean it really depends on your goals i have some clients that just under no circumstances do they want to give up rights Mm -hmm. and that's fine and then i have other clients that are like i don't care i'll give up the rights as long as they pay me enough so, I mean, their concern is more about the money in, in that instance. And so it, it just depends on your personal goals as well. We've uh, One of our more successful members, a couple of them, I can think, several of them actually, that are making 100,000, between 100 grand and 200 grand a year, never register a copyright, number one, uh, do everything, almost everything, if not entirely everything, non-exclusively, will put their music in any kind of library and know that they're only going to make money on um, performance royalties and mm-hmm. these guys are making great money and they and they don't care if somebody rips off one of their pieces because why would anybody rip it off well and in that case uh, it's mostly it's cues yeah. usually and it's and these are people that are like i'll write another one tomorrow right. okay so yeah but you know they're making six figures and they're happy with that so why not? Yeah, and if they write something <laughs> substantive yeah. that is their grand opus, yeah. copyright or register yeah. that copyright. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm always the proponent of copyright registration, yeah, of but course. you know, again, you have to assess your situation. Yep. 
It is definitely not a one-size-fits-all world. No. So some of the things that I had in the email yeah. that went out, and then we will answer the questions. Okay. Uh, you know what? What? We should have you answer one legal question per month in our newsletter. Okay. It goes out to a gazillion people. And, Sounds uh, good. Okay. we got to do, do that. that. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, oh, we already covered that one. So do you know all the different ways? Yeah. All the different ways. <laughs> the cluster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the uh, cluster blank. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, what word yes. usually what follows cluster? What goes after that? <laughs> do you know all the different ways you can earn income from having your music on YouTube? Yes. Okay. <laughs> What are they? Okay, so basically they are sync fees slash master use fees, depending on. So if anybody doesn't know, a master use fee is basically the same as a sync fee, except it's for the master and not for the composition. And or share of ad revenue and performance royalties. Let's work backwards yeah. and start with performance royalties because okay. honestly, I don't know how those are calculated in the context of a YouTube thing. Most people don't. I, I, who <laughs> decides? Including everybody in the industry, except for yes. the people that calculate them. So no, basically, <laughs> like, well, it's like all PRO royalties. It's this proprietary right. formula that most anybody outside the PRO itself really understands you know it's their whatever nobody they're at the PRO no, understands nobody, either well, yeah I mean it's like they have their algorithm and that's that and nobody really gets it and you know and that's how it gets paid <laughs> when so are musicians going to rise up and be at the, you know with pitchforks and torches right. in hand at the, the front yeah. door not that I don't love ASCAP and BMI right. and CSAC no and, we love them. Uh, and right. uh, uh, what's uh, the fourth GMR. one? GMR. Yes. Thank you. Um, we'll talk about that in a yeah. minute. <laughs> so, okay, so nobody knows what that rate is or how yeah. it's calculated. So, if you and I are a folk duo yeah. and we write a song, we own the master, we own um, the copyright, uh, and we license it to. My friend made a, a, a two hour feature film. Okay. And it ends up on YouTube. Okay. How do we get paid for that? Register that. <laughs> and how do they, do, does it get paid the same as well, if it's on Showtime or I'm NBC? I'm not going to say the rates are the same, but I'm going to say that the process is the same a lot of the time. So, for example, and we can get into this later, but somebody, when they heard that I was going to be on the show today they sent me a question and I said well I'll bring it up okay while while I'm on the show and so um, this person had a show a uh, song in a YouTube red um, show which is and their paid YouTube service. red is the paid subscription for service through YouTube and he said they're doing it like a TV show he got an upfront fee and they're doing cue sheets wow. and how does he monetize? And I don't know, that is how you monetize. Yeah. Um, probably, I know the particular show that he's on, I, you know, I can't reveal the details, but the particular show that his song was in um, is considered a premium content partner. And these premium partners with YouTube are, I guess YouTube is sort of grooming them to act like a traditional network. TV mm -hmm. ne network, yeah. exactly. And so, 
So again, it's the upfront fee and the cue sheets and probably, and I haven't seen his agreement, but it's very possible that somewhere in his agreement, he waived a share of ad revenue. So, so in order to be treated an, like he yeah. would be on a rig, like a, maybe a cable show, or probably yeah. not like broadcast network show, but let's say it's um, equal to yeah. a cable show. Normally, one might get ad revenue, a, a piece of the ad revenue, like 10% or whatever yeah. it is. So he's saying, no, I, I, I'll pass on that because I'm being paid otherwise. Well, that's probably what ended up happening in his contract, yeah. Or, yeah, you're getting this upfront fee and, okay. you know. And, you know, and as you long as it's, it. yeah. it, it, I mean, it's, if, it's there's some parity with what's right. going on. But if you don't... If you don't have to waive it, you know that that ad rev can add up if they if it gets enough views. I know this particular show has it's in the millions already for view numbers. So. Uh, you know, there's a, a vlogger that's yeah. very popular named Casey Neistat. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, I I love you, Casey. Anyway, um, subscribe. subscribe. <laughs> so uh, Casey gets you know, one and a half to 30 million views on his stuff. And uh, the musicians who have music get tremendous exposure. But right. exposure, you know, I'm sure that right. monetizes in downloads or Maybe not. not. Yeah. Well, because uh, that's the art. I mean, that's the sync argument, right? Yeah. You know, we'll put you on our show and you'll just make it on the back end. No, you won't. You're not yeah. making it on the back end, people. Well, like, not in not, that way. Yeah. Not in that way. It's not going to show up as downloads. Something's happening know? in the back end yeah. that it probably it's, is yeah. not money. <laughs> just saying. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in that case, he's... So, if he's crediting the song, I mean, if it's being logged correctly that that's the song well, that's being used and it's an independent artist that has given it with no upfront sync fee theoretically they should be earning some performance royalties through from YouTube. it youtube will pay the blanket licenses with ascap and bmi and then the yeah. mystery formula comes into play the so formula it, comes into play and we all know that everything that's happening online is like point oh 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 two right yeah, exactly yeah. but let's say Casey uses an established song. I think there was a case where he used a Frank Sinatra song, and in that case, without licensing it, and mm -hmm. and in that case, the publisher can come in through YouTube's content management system, oh. make a claim on that video, and then they're going to be the one getting the ad rev for that show, and Casey would not get ad rev on that particular video. And Sinatra's people probably broke, <clears throat> excuse me, broke his legs. <laughs> wow, <laughs> <You know? laughs> no comment, no comment. Frank, but, you're still powerful even yeah. from the grave. But that's, but that's what's happening is because there's so many uses of music that don't have the proper sync licenses that the second option is then, okay, rather than sending a takedown to YouTube and getting that just completely taken off, you make a claim and the video gets to stay up but the publisher then gets the ad rev for that video that features that the song. So rather than taking it down, they say, okay, well, they didn't get the license, but let's get the money from it. So they take the ad rev instead of... Sounds like a lot of... Doesn't YouTube rely on the fact that it's going to take a lot more legal fees and time and effort for the publisher to chase that money down... It's like who's well, actually, now there are companies that do this on uh, behalf of the publisher. So, and they are. 
Yeah, uh, well, one of them um, is called exploration.io, and okay. that's um, my friend Renee Meredith's company. And uh, there's Audium, and there's a few other ones that do it. And basically, they, you know, take a fee. This the structures differ as to how they do it, but but you know, most independent publishers, especially if it's like an individual writer with his own publishing, they they, they don't have the time or the resources yeah. to be on YouTube monitoring this all the time. So that's what these companies do on their behalf. They monitor. They go in and they make claims. Um, on whether it's the publisher or the master owner or both, depending on what the content is. And how do these these watchdog people get paid? Uh, only when they're successful and they get a piece of some it? Some of them or? are on commission. Some of them are on like an hourly fee or an admin fee. It just depends on who the company is and how big the catalog is and all those types of um, variables. So it's almost yeah. smarter even for a, a so-called real publisher, yeah. a big one, to hire them to yeah, do it rather some the, than some of the big publishers have hired them yeah it makes sense right. this way they don't have to hire a staff of 12 right. people and office exactly. space and insurance and all exactly. that stuff and, outsourced and for the the smaller ones not everybody is up to the level where youtube is gonna accept them as a partner and have them in the content management system um so then these companies can then manage through their access to the content management system I noticed that YouTube's got a library of its own. Of right. anybody can use this mm -hmm. music for YouTube videos. Right. Um, so clearly, they did buyouts with these artists and compensate yeah. them one way or another. Right. What happens if you take free music from the YouTube library and then put it up somewhere that's not YouTube? Well, I didn't, I haven't read the whole. I mean, it's not in front of me. I'd have to read the whole thing. But my guess would be that it that the license to use that music is only within your YouTube video. And if you Man. take that out of it, then you're infringing. And only read the, the things that you have, or, you know, when you're on the internet and you're like, don't just click I agree, <laughs> read it, please. <laughs> yes, we all we yeah. are all guilty. Oh, yeah. come on, you're an attorney. Right. When, when you get a new version of Microsoft Word, do you right. really read the license? I know I you can't even. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cliff Notes, I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not exactly the most exciting reading. No. <laughs> very little legal stuff is to the rest of us right. anyway. Okay, reimagined covers. Um, yeah. Taxi is very popular with publishers okay. that frequently, uh, it's gaining a lot of traction in the uh, film trailer world where it's not so much John Williams or big bombastic Right. Uh, stuff with strings and synths and taiko drums. Now they want a song that was a hit in 1984 right. reimagined as a dreamy, right. spacey. Which some thing. of the music supervisors are really getting sick of, by the way. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> and the ad agencies yeah. are getting sick of yeah. ukuleles and chalas. Right, exactly. That's and, <laughs> and we hear them every freaking night. So yeah. if they work, they work. Yeah. So. The reimagined cover versions of the hit songs, um, people frequently say to me, well, uh, do I get anything other than just owning the master and getting right. my portion of the master sync fee? Uh, I know that when people do a certain amount of rearranging, that there's some sort of that, thing that kicks in. Yeah, I, mean, I don't really I, understand it's, it. No, there's no like automatic kick-in or something. There might, if they do a certain amount of rearranging, the publisher might be willing to share uh, 
some copyright with that. Although that, I would say that's so rare. I mean, it would have to be so much <laughs> rearranging. It would be like that, this. You call the publisher right. and say, "I'd like a piece of it." And right. I'm to, yeah, it'd be like this, but with a. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say with a finger yeah. instead of a thumb. Right. <laughs> All right, uh, so they shouldn't count on that. Well, no, <laughs> no, 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 because, I mean, because a publisher is going to want to keep their publishing. And, um, you know, a cover is supposed to be similar, you know, enough to the original that it's not a complete departure, because if it is so much of a departure, that's considered a derivative work, and the publisher as owner of the copyright is the only party able to grant whether a derivative work can be made. That and was well they, said. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and they typically own copyright for all derivative works. Now, if it's cover that they want so badly that it's, you know, could there be a situation where they might be willing to share potentially? Uh, and they're only giving up a piece of the derivative. They're not giving up any of the original right, copyright. Right, correct. So it's no correct. skin off their butt correct. if this is going to go into a movie and it's going to be a, you know, $250,000 right. or in a trailer. Yeah. But I would do that. Too. You know, in the, in the majority of cases, it's going to be, does this cover artist own the master and and get the, the master use fee. Um, I'm a little amazed sometimes. We get um, sometimes really big publishers that mm -hmm. say, you know, basically you can take like anything in our catalog mm -hmm. that you think would work well in the context of a film trailer, yeah. ask your members to do a reimagined cover, and we'll listen to stuff. If it's good, yeah. we'll... No, I've, I've done that with clients. Uh, I've had publishers come to me with that. But our members yeah. don't really respond well to those listings. Uh, yeah, and I'm thinking, why? You don't have to write That's a easy, lyric. You yeah. don't have to write don't a song. Have to write it. Guys. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and all you have Come to do. Come on, let's get those covers going. <laughs> I think there's a little pot of gold there. Yeah. Um, just saying. Right. Well, no, it actually, it's, I feel like it's actually really beneficial to independent artists because even though they're not making money on the publishing side, they now have a relationship with a large publisher with a legendary well-known catalog who has the power to place it and not only place it but command a high fee for it right. and then you share in that and get the exposures and all you have to do is record a good cover so is the publisher yeah. let's say and I'm just using yeah. them as an example but let's say it's universal and you do Mary Had a Little Lamb, okay. which they probably own because they own everything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you do a reimagined version, like a punk version yeah. of that, and they license it to uh, a trailer and it's a $200,000 all-in deal. Um, it, I think I've got a buzz. Anyway, <laughs> it, it's how much typically would they get of the master? Because I own the master. 100% at this moment. Um, they own 100% of copyright. Right. Or maybe co-own it with the, the original creator of the song. Um, are they going to typically take 50% of my master? Uh, the Universal publisher. The publisher. Yeah. It depends on the deal. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, what, sometimes they own the master. Sometimes they're taking half the master. Sometimes they're... Well, why would I want to do a deal where they own the whole master? If they own the whole copyright and they... They're uh, paying they're you gonna, to do it. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's a work for hire? Could or, be. And would that only constitute a work for hire if they came to me and said, hey, Lasco, we want you to cover Mary Had Little Lamb in advance versus me saying, oh, by the way, I've got this awesome cover I did of Mary Had Little Lamb? 
Well, technically, yes. Is somebody going to probably draft a contract anyway and yeah. say it's a work for hire? Probably. <laughs> Even though I had it Even already. though you had it, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's, if you had it already, it's not going to be quite as common to be a work for hire. It's going to need to be more of an assignment. But, um, okay. but you know, they're going to put that language in there if they can. So. <laughs> All right. And now let's talk yeah. about the Justice Department. Okay. Uh, this this we could do a whole episode on this, right. um, so give me the Cliff Notes version, okay. because none of us understand That's it okay. really. I did a whole article and video and, on this. Uh, so. Was that the article that was in Forbes, or was that a um, different well, I've one? I've had that several one? articles on Forbes. No, I think the one you have is like ways mm. the music industry needs to change. Oh, but I that did. was actually really good. Thank you. I read that. Um, good. See, I, I, I can read. <laughs> this is good. Um, but no, there, it's on my website, themusicindustrylawyer.com. And I have a video on YouTube about it on my YouTube channel. So Justice yeah. Department versus ASCAP and BMI. Now, um, basically, this is all about fractional licensing. Correct. And if you and I write a song together, right. you're BMI and I'm mm -hmm. ASCAP, that if the Justice Department gets its, its way, we couldn't license that. Correct. So basically, the way that the industry works now is on a basis of what's called fractional licensing, which means that in your example, where we've co-written this song, either one of our PROs could license their share, and typically it will get licensed by both as well, because um, that's just how everybody does everything, where they go to each owner. But if the Department of Justice gets its way, they want a 100% licensing model where they say if a PRO cannot license 100% of that track then or that composition, then it's not licensable. So then neither one of us could license it because each of our PROs would technically only have half. So then... That it, would effectively kill the music industry. Well, exactly, which is why we're fighting so hard against it. it. So... <laughs> What happens then? So then effectively somebody would have to come to us to get a direct performance license. Is the person licensing it going to know to do that? Not necessarily. Are they going to get screwed because they don't? They would have to well, negotiate their own deal, right? They would have to negotiate their own deal. Then are they going to use it without getting a direct performance license? And then it's up to us to find out that they're doing it and then go police it. So, yes, it's a complete mess. Um, Why does the DOJ even want to do this? What's in it for them? Google and the big digital giants who don't want... It makes it easier for them. And these are the types of things that they've been lobbying for. Technically, the consent degree, decree language does support 100% licensing, but we never actually put that into practice. It's always in, in the custom and practice of the business has always been on a fractional licensing basis. Um, ASCAP and BMI have taken the stance that if the DOJ is successful at implementing 100% licensing, they will do what they need to do to support writers because a lot of writers were coming out and saying, 
does that mean I can only write with writers that are in my same PRO? And nobody will. And, well, it, there will be a well, mass migration of people right. to other PROs or, depending on where all their co-writer friends well, are. Or if you can get out of your deal because, you know, the PRO right. deals are a certain term. Yeah. And then another option is to administer. So, like, oh, would I be the administrator for both of our shares? It, you know, in that sense. So and that way you could, I could cut a bad deal her. and I would come over and, and stand outside your you window could. yelling, Aaron, why did you do that? Could. And you'd say, because I could. Could. You know, so it's, and the DOJ's recommendation was, well, you can go back and amend all your contracts so that way, yes, one person can be the administrator. And, and all of us in the industry are sitting there going, do you know how many contracts Millions of contracts would need to be amended. So this is a good so, day for you. It, well, yeah, but you know, but at the end of the day, it's like no. It's this is about writers getting paid and um, you know, and not disrupting the industry. We're, we need to improve the state of the industry, not further detriment it. So it's like so. health insurance. It needs to be fixed, but I'll be damned if anybody right. can figure out Nobody the right knows. way to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So. Maybe Donald Trump wants to take this on. Uh, we'll have to see. I don't know. But BMI did sue the DOJ and was successful. And, and, and why didn't ASCAP piggyback on that? Because, so they're taking this dual approach where BMI is taking the legislative route and ASCAP is, or no, uh, switch that. Well, the lobbying. ASCAP's taking the lobbying route where they're trying to lobby Congress to change the laws. And BMI is taking the legislative route where they're you know, or the judicial route, right. I guess. Thank you. That's, I'm like, what word am I looking for? I um, even knew, but I didn't yeah. want to make it no, look No, that's bad. okay. But I really <laughs> didn't know the answer to that. So ASCAP's <laughs> taking the legislative route and BMI is taking the judicial route um, where they're suing in their rate court. And they were successful and very quickly successful mm -hmm. in their rate court. The DOJ has appealed that decision and we're waiting to see what happens. And the DOJ's entire motivation is driven by lobbyists from well, Google and other... Well, they're not going to say that, of course, but that's the consensus of what everybody's come to. Plus, the woman that was in charge is a former Google employee. So um, there's a lot of sort of conspiracy theories going around here. Wow. So... And, uh, whatever happened to the good old days? Right. Well, and the register Alley. of copyright was removed at the same time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Maria Planty was removed at the same time. Do you know I went to room B14 mm -hmm. uh, at the Library of Congress, the copyright office, where you can access, matter of public record, right. I can access your copyrights. Mm -hmm. um, and you can get a mailing list. And there was a time at Taxi in the mid to late 90s where we would get that list and mm -hmm. send out promotional stuff. And I was there, and a little metal cart was up against a wall in that room, and it actually had stuff rolled up like yeah. this, parchment rolled right. up with little bows little on it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, really? Yeah. And copyright law started when? In, like, first part of the 20th century? Well, there was, I mean, the, the act prior to our current act was the 1909 act, but we did have some laws in place prior to that as well. Okay, so it's conceivable stuff could yeah. have been done on, like, a scroll with a ribbon. Yeah, but for but the the certificates were sent that way for a uh. while as well. <laughs> I believe now now I just get like a folded you know a piece of paper like folded three ways and yeah um, yeah know, I didn't know it came out. I get out those on behalf of my clients and I'm like oh okay so and so's registration came in. <laughs> 
All right, so yeah. now we are yeah. moving on, uh, and okay. uh, I hope you guys in the chat room Did are enjoying it. Did we get any it. chat questions yet? No, well, just I, everybody's I, commenting on the weather so far, I think. Unbelievable. Okay. We're sitting here beating our brains out to give you guys great information. You're talking Those about that. Those are coming in. Those are coming in. <laughs> All right, so these are questions from you guys, okay. uh, which we will answer these first because these people did take the time to post yes, them on our... thank you um, for taking the time to post your questions. Absolutely. So John Walsh. Probably not the John Walsh from television says, oh, I'm not. interested in acquiring grand rights, which I'd never heard of before. Grand rights for the performance of several songs for use in a the theatrical production. Is there a standard fee for this use and a time period for which rights are generally given? And then do you want to take it one question? Yeah, at a time? let's do one question at a time. So okay. for anybody that doesn't know what grand rights are, grand rights are the performance rights for a dramatized performance so that means like a play a musical like broadway for example like okay. in the in the actual theater what about if it's performed on camera on a tv show same thing if somebody's singing into a hairbrush in a scene is or well, no. if somebody's singing Oklahoma, right? <laughs> Peter's no, stage, no. Or, See, that would just be a performance, but this is when you're—it's it's a different use. Okay. No, it's a different use of when you're actually dramatizing the song within the play, and what, dramatizing is in reference to the theatrical production, not somebody singing into a hairbrush because they're acting while they're singing. I don't understand it's, the difference, but a I don't lot know. of people—it's. <laughs> You know, that's its own, like, specialized area within, you know, that, like, a subset of people deal with. Thanks for asking well. the question, yeah. John. So, <laughs> now that you're all way more confused. <laughs> really. But um, it, it's all, grand rates are all negotiated, so. Um, From zero, ground zero. Pretty much. So, okay. Yeah. Um, um, and John went on to yeah. ask, are sound recordings of actual contemporary music handled in the same manner? Um, sound recordings have different performance rights than um, than compositions do. So I'm going to say no because sound recordings only have the right of digital performance, like through sound exchange, like when it's on Spotify or satellite radio. Do you have a, an Amazon Echo Dot? I do not. Okay. <laughs> I do because I want the NSA in our bedroom every okay. night. <laughs> And I'm going to ask Alexa this question tonight. Okay. Are sound recordings of actual contemporary music handled yeah, in the same manner? Yeah, let me manner? know what she says. And right <laughs> now, like 100 people's Alexas all just lit up and yeah. started answering. I do not know the answer to that question. Right. Okay, what's the standard of the industry? Well, I guess if we don't really yeah, know, then no. standard is... There's so much. Point. People ask me all the time, of, like, every question, there's a, like, so what's the standard? And yeah. most of them, or at least a lot of them, and the way that the business has been going, there's not. So, I mean, you had asked me about producer fees um, when we were talking over the weekend, and you had asked I me did. about a particular fee. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Here. Where, where was it? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, that was so, the weekend before. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, so but producers ask me this all the time. Right. Like, what's the standard fee? There isn't. It's just going to depend on, like, who the producer is and what they bring to the project. I mean, there's, like, a range, but there's not really, like, a standard Oh, fee. that's right. This is when I was yeah. trying to pinch you for some free legal you advice. Were. My Don't think I didn't pick up on that, Michael. <laughs> I think I was pretty open about it. <laughs> I, I said something like that. Yeah, my, my daughter 
wrote a song, then took it to a, a friend of ours who yeah. could be watching the show, um, who she met, I believe, at the... Oh, she actually met yeah. through one of our other kids. Okay. And he co-wrote the song with her, produced the track, and now... This is a YouTube question. Yeah. Uh, my daughter's best friends are YouTube stars. Um, the Merrill Twins. Google them, the Merrill Twins. And so the Merrill Twins are going to... They're doing a music video of yeah. the song. They, they've sung the vocal one. So, uh, what was my question? Uh, you wanted no. to know about the producer fee and... Or, or what cut? I don't know about the fee. You wanted oh, to no, know he about work for, for hire. future stuff, right. And you wanted to know about work for hire. And then you wanted to know about how to get paid on YouTube, which we already covered. All right. So, work for hire, again, that's yeah. just whatever you want it to be. Well, I mean, there are requirements. It's not whatever you. No, want I mean, it to I'm be, talking about the, how much you get. Are, are you mean, saying there? Um, in a work for hire, if somebody says yes, I will produce this for you mm -hmm. as a work for hire situation, they can name their fee to be anything they want. Well, yeah, they can name the fee, but um, as from a copyright perspective, the person then commissioning the work becomes the the legal mm -hmm. author of the work. And for the sound yeah. recording as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, sound. Well, okay. So sound recordings are not one of the categories of work made for hire. So there's like an, a little wrinkle with that, um, which is why like every recording contract says the recordings that you make under the term of our deal are work made for hire. But if they're not a work made for hire, then you assign all rights. Um, and now that we've <laughs> been you know in time long enough that termination rights are coming into play yeah. um, some people are trying to test that um, uh. and say well I can terminate because it's not a work made for hire um, because if you have a work made for hire you're not allowed to terminate the grant using the termination rights in so the this US goes back to law. The 72 or 76 uh... this is the 1976 act which came into Play January 1st 1978 and we're dealing with um, mostly section 203 uh, oh, I love for that termination. section <laughs> I read it all the time do you? <laughs> no, hell no <laughs> I was just reading it the other day actually but um, but the argument is made that because sound recording is not one of the rights in or one of the categories listed for work made for hire, you can terminate the grant and those artists can then get their rights back these 35 years later, but nobody's really taken that to court or anything like that because the labels are pretty much like, okay, well, how much money do we have to give you so that way we can keep the rights to that? And it would yeah. be a precedent setting case. Exactly. That's why they want to avoid it, the sneaky. <laughs> those labels. Yeah. Okay. Um, it says I have two active chats. That's weird. I've yeah, never seen I, I that. Yeah, I just thing. noticed that. I have I no idea what the on. other active chat is. Oh, it looks like Brian's on the um, chat. I'm recognizing some names. Oh, Brian Curtin? Yeah. Hey, Brian, Brian. Curtin. <laughs> I know Brian. Okay, so moving on. Um, uh, I'm, this is from okay. Hunter Journey. I'm having issues. Haunting Journey. Haunting Journey. <laughs> We were talking about how our eyes aren't as good as we wish they were before. <laughs> Haunting Journey. Not, I like Hunter Journey. Um, he's a killer. Whatever, <laughs> whatever 
influence your vote. I'm having issues with knock merch. Yeah. How do I protect my band? And I had no idea what knock merch is. So. Well, my assumption here is that this is like knockoff merchandise. Um, and there, there are provisions um, within the Copyright Act of the penalties and things like that. But basically, like, you'd have to go after these people and seize the merchandise and then start proceedings against them and all, things all like for that. a couple dozen t-shirts yeah is it, i mean so is it really worth it so that's why they get away with it yeah um but you know if you're interested in pursuing something like that contact an experienced music attorney that has experience with that so <laughs> okay uh let's see what um, else did haunting journey well, he, ask, uh, he asked about covering songs uh, else? Anyone can cover your song, but they also need permission. So what's the difference? So can anyone cover it or do you need permission? And the answer is both. So depending <laughs> um, on, depending on. Okay. So if it hasn't been already recorded and released yet, then you can't like if, if I know like Michael's written a song and if I was an artist and I wanted to cover it because Michael had never released that before and recorded it, I would have to get Michael's permission for that which is called a first use license because when you're the writer you get the say in who the first person is to record your song. Now if Michael had already recorded and released his song and I wanted to cover it or you wanted to cover it, anybody else wanted to cover it, you get what's called a compulsory license and then the and these are usually available through the Harry Fox agency and then you're you just have to pay the statutory mechanical rate, which is currently set at 9.1 cents per sale download. Um, so, and then HFA, Harry Fox Agency, has their uh, application, their rules, so you just have to follow that procedure. And again, if you need help doing it, contact a music attorney. Um, Don't laugh at me, Michael. <laughs> not, not as far as you know. Um, <laughs> mystical or mystic? I can't read today. Mystic ritual wants yeah. to know what's the main difference. Oh, this one's easy. Yeah. What's the main difference between ASCAP and BMI? Not much. <laughs> they do the same thing. I mean, it's one they, is fighting on the legislative side, right, and one is fighting on the judicial side. side. Yeah, no, but I mean, as far as collecting and paying your performance royalties, th there's not much difference. They do the same thing. If again, if like you're if if you're ASCAP and I'm BMI, and then we're looking at our royalty statements, are the for the song that we co-wrote, are the rates going to differ? Probably. At the end of the day, are they going to even out? Probably. So it's really whatever one you feel most comfortable. I with. always hear this yeah. from people. Oh, my friend that I co-wrote the song yeah. with is a BMI member, and he got three times as much as right. I did uh, on his quarterly. But then on the next statement, you're going to get three times as right. much. So, so it's going to end up evening out. They do the same thing. They're both good companies. Um, I always tell people the, the biggest difference is yeah. one has four letters and one has three. Yeah. Well, five letters. <laughs> and now you know why I'm in the music business. <laughs> and math was not yeah, my major. Yeah, math. Yeah. <laughs> I, math we can do. That's all these it. years I thought it was ASAP. Yeah. Okay, this one's from Sire or C I R E? Kyer, Sire, Siri, Mayo. Mayo. Uh, hello, Aaron. My questions hello. are regarding a song I got placed in a major movie. Okay. Congratulations. Uh, I re recently found a, found a few YouTube videos using the song. 
One has over 4 million views and a few others with upwards of 40,000 yeah. views. Should I be getting any payments from this? And if so, how should I go right. about collecting? Well, this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the video. First of all, hopefully you're registered with a performance rights organization like ASCAP or BMI so you can be collecting performance royalties. If you're not, register immediately. <laughs> and... Um, you know, and then can you maybe get a share of the ad revenue? Potentially, but it depends on the license. Is it retroactive? Yeah. Or could it be retroactive? For performance? For any sort of remuneration? Um, um, usually not, but I know that in certain cases, performance royalties, it's like, you know, they, they will hold for like a few months. So it's you could inquire whether you can, but there's no guarantee as to whether you can. And the answer will be... <laughs> oh, so, poor musicians. I know. <laughs> um, this is why we're fighting for them, Michael. Mr. Mayo yeah. says thank you for your time. Oh, very nice. You're welcome, man or woman. Thank you. Um, Tracy Marino has a question, yeah. which are what are some of the key points in a music publishing right. contract that a songwriter should go over with his her music attorney? For instance, reversion yeah. clause, writer share, etc. Yeah. First, so what what are the big things that you would go over with? Uh, a songwriter for their first time publishing right. contract. Okay, so hi Tracy and Vance. Um, they say to say hi to you, by the way. <laughs> they emailed me. <laughs> so, yeah, so music publishing contracts. I love music publishing contracts. Yeah. Um, I do. Publishing is my favorite area of the of the industry. It's the only actually. thing left. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, the good thing I picked the right favorite, <laughs> I guess. Um, woo! But the thing, um, you're going to look at ter the term of the agreement, you're going to look at the percentage splits, you're going to look at um, how much copyright you're transferring, you're going to look at, you know, keeping your writer's share, which, I mean, that's pretty standard. I would be, like, sort of horrified if... <laughs> it's <laughs> would, coming yeah. up more and more frequently. Yeah. Um, I just turned down a library the other day. Yeah. There was a very nice, legitimate mm -hmm. library, small but legit. Uh, and the gentleman said, look, I'm sorry to even have to ask for this, but I'm doing a deal. Uh, I've got a deal with a bigger publisher. They're taking 100% of the publishing, so I've got to take some of the writer's share. And I said, I can't run that no. listing. Yeah. And I felt bad because he was right. a, a nice guy. Well, but then maybe he should have thought about the deal. <laughs> well, he's got, he's got his yeah. own deal with them yeah. where he keeps 100% of the writer's share, and they've got more requests and want more music from him than yeah. he can fill with his own two hands right. in 24 oh, hours a day. Okay. So, so that know, makes a little more sense, yeah. but okay. So um, some deals have reversion clauses. My publisher clients are going to hate me for saying that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, what else? There, I mean, there's... There's a lot. I mean, those are like the main big ones. I mean, basically, it's going to be like term and income and copyright transfer. Um, sometimes approvals. Um, you know, the like, what what can what can they license your music for? Um, there's usually like a standard set of approvals that you know they they will ask you like if it's NC17 or firearms or things like that. Um, you know, I mean, it's. I've seen publishing deals that are very short. I've seen them that are very long. So, I mean, depending on, you know, whether you're doing a deal with a major or you're doing a deal with a very small indie publisher, you know, we're going to be looking at different things as well. And know? basically, if you're just starting out, you really, my 
personal observations. You don't have a lot of leverage Correct. to negotiate a better Correct. deal. Maybe you got lucky and your first time around the block, you co-wrote a song that's being cut by Pharrell. Yeah. And he wants that song on right. his record. And right. so you are in a better position. Yeah. You probably co-wrote it with a hit writer anyway. Um, but most of the time, it's like yeah, no, kind of got to yeah. take what they offer. Well, you don't have to. Okay, so if you have, first of all, don't do this yourself. You want to have an experienced music attorney representing you. <laughs> uh, advertisement, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but subscribe. <laughs> um, but you get, when you have good representation, if you're a writer that doesn't have a lot of leverage, but you have good representation, that can help give you some leverage. So, um, do, do they have to just take what's given to them? Well, if I'm representing them, no. Um, but if they really, like even with good representation, as a new writer without a proven track record, they're not gonna have a lot of room to move, you know, generally. So I, I can, you know, what I do is I get them, or I do my best to get them in a better position of which they were offered, but you also have to know the limits of what level you, that you're at. So, I mean, I know that for an, a brand new writer, we're not going to start getting like superstar status right. level advances. So, what about uh, I get calls from people to say, yeah. I've I got a, an email from a music soup that wants yeah. to use uh, 26 seconds of my song yeah. in this big feature film. Um, should I get a music attorney to negotiate that deal for me? And my answer is you've got yeah. a publisher. Well, um, okay, and, so yeah, if they have the publisher, so why isn't the publisher negotiating that? On I, I don't know that they don't. Um, they don't understand how things work well enough okay. to understand that. It's like they know they signed a publishing deal, but they right. don't understand that the publisher's job is to exploit the copyright right. and negotiate on yeah. both of their behalf. So, yeah, so if you have a publishing deal, that is the publisher's, what Michael just said, the publisher's job is to manage and exploit your copyrights. And, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm happy to negotiate a license for whoever needs a license negotiated, but if you have a publisher, that's part of their job. And... The main takeaway is don't negotiate it yourself because whether it's an attorney or a publisher, especially if it's a publisher that is working with these supervisors a lot, they can get you a much higher rate for the sync fee than you know if you were doing it yourself. So don't you know and and the supervisors or the production companies they know this. So if you're if you're negotiating it yourself and if they know that you're not savvy at negotiating licenses they're going to offer you a lower rate whereas your publisher could probably put a couple more zeros on that speaking of that sort of thing mm -hmm. there's a company out there that is roughly in the category of taxi they help okay. independent um, artists and writers and composers get their stuff um, a lot of tv commercial listings mm -hmm. um Is there ever a time where I'm a songwriter or a composer and I'm licensing my piece of music for, I don't have a publisher, mm -hmm. I'm all on my own, and I give it to this company and they get it in a an Adidas commercial, mm -hmm. and I get a check for $1,500 from the taxi-like company. Okay. 
Okay, so the, the, even though I have not signed a publishing deal right. with the taxi-like, and I mean, mm-hmm. like in the loosest possible way, yeah. um, and they don't sign any paperwork on the license. So I've talked to taxi members who've gotten Who's, checks for a thousand. The company is not signing the license paperwork. Nobody, as far as I know. Um, or the it, writer with this company, there's no paperwork. There's terms and conditions on yeah. the website. Uh, and I've not seen anything, yeah. although I'm not an attorney, as you right. probably, or, nor am I a mathematician. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I find it odd that these people are getting stuff used in commercials. They are never given a link, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. Uh, I've asked four of them, five of them. Mm-hmm. They've not been given a link to the commercial that their music is in. Yeah. They have not gotten a check from the ad agency that produced the commercial, nor have they gotten one from Adidas. They got it instead from the taxi-like right. company. I mean, I could see if the terms were that they are acting as your representative, and so then they are collecting the fee, taking their share, and then giving the writer that person's fee, but there should be some sort of paperwork to that. Effect. Exactly. How can they mm-hmm. use your song? The money I understand. That, right. But there how needs can they... to be a signed license. Yeah. So, so if there's no signed license and there's no link to go see or no video right. file, that to me does not sound kosher. Correct. Okay. I agree. I'm not as dumb as no. my parents thought I was. <laughs> no. Um, Cap Martin does, wants to know, does a royalty-free vocal I've never heard of this. Does a royalty-free vocal mean that there are no mechanical royalties to be paid to the original performer slash writer, but the original writer is still owed publishing on any performances? I've got to read that one more time. Yeah, that's a confusing one. Well, because the performer is not going to be getting mechanicals, but I think in this case she's saying that the performer and writer are the same person. Um, Mm. But... You know, but but by this question, I'm not even sure if it's a royalty-free vocal. Or are they getting songwriter credit on whatever this song is? I think we need more information. Oh, uh, um, Cat says, I'm assuming Cat is a female. No mechanical royalties to be paid to the original writer to original performer writer. So that almost indicates that the vocalist is not. The person, I, yeah, I don't get it. I think it. we need a lawyer to figure out the well, question. <laughs> no, I mean, if you're on the chat, maybe give us more information. Um, because we'd love yeah, to answer we're this. We're not quite sure of the situation here. All That's right. Well, we're waiting for that to yeah. pop up, and I'll keep an eye on the chat. Uh, okay. Stephen Carey Bruce mm-hmm. asks. Ms. Jacobson, with yes. retitling from music licensing libraries, at what point do I register my music cues to my PRO ASCAP? Possibly, could you also expound upon when or at what point to register to a PRO for a song for a commercial? Thank okay, you. so I'm going to take the second question first. Okay. Um, so registering a PRO for a commercial, always register quickly with your PRO because the second that it starts getting performed, it's earning royalties, and if you don't have that song registered, you're not collecting them. So, um, so you want to register um, right in the beginning, and then for retitling, it's a problem because then you have the original song and then the retitled song uh, in the in you know that that would come up on the the sampling uh, that uh, the PROs do, that's how they track. They use electronic sampling to 
so they listen, say listen, yeah. <laughs> um, to the songs and track the performances so then you have two songs that are the same but different titles and then they're going well who do we pay and then they have to look at cue sheets um, so I don't think that it's but if it's especially if you're like with a non-exclusive library that's retitling you don't want to not register because you're thinking well they're going to register it under the new title because it's not exclusive so I don't think it's a question of at what point it's you know I think you should just register them anyway um, you know. Yeah, some people don't bother because they right. think that the, the instrumental cues are commodities to them. Yeah. And I get that because they, as you said earlier in right, the show. Right, but there is still the writer's share. So, but know, even if you're giving away the publisher's share. I, I think that they feel like the odds of it generating a significant amount mm -hmm. of money. Uh, look, sometimes a queue only generates, you know, $6.25 right. in its lifetime. Right. Sometimes, a lot of times, zero. Yeah. So why should they spend 35 bucks to register? That's uh, copyright. Or, oh, what We're were talking you talking about? We're talking about registration. Oh, okay, that's yeah. free. Yeah, Never that's mind. free. So it's just your time, Yeah. basically. And I think of it as like couch cushion money. Like, right. You know, it's like... You, you've already written this song, you've registered it, and then it's just out there and you're not doing anything with it, but it's earning money. It becomes passive income at that point, so it's like, why not? So don't be lazy is what she's saying. Yeah. Because yeah. it's easy to be lazy. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with, with YouTube. We're talking about collecting money on YouTube. If you are somebody that's uploading videos, you want to be registered with the AdSense mm -hmm. because... That again, that's just like money that's coming in on your views that you're not getting. And I had a client, well, I have a client that um, we were on the phone the other day because he was asking me um, about different royalty collection. And then I happened to say to him, And are you getting your ad revenue from YouTube? And he goes, Well, I don't know if I know how to do that. And so I walk him through logging into his account, and, and then he's like, I have like a couple hundred dollars sitting here. And I was like, great, add your bank information and transfer it over. And he's like, Aaron, you've just made me like extra a few hundred dollars that I didn't even know that, you know, that I was entitled to. And apparently they're doing well enough to where that's a recurring thing. So it's like. And then you send him a bill for 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I didn't no. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. attorneys. <laughs> I do. <laughs> a couple that I've met in my lifetime. Um, uh, somebody asked, what a typical reversion clause, you know, what are the bullet points for typical yeah, reversion Yeah, there's not clause? really like a typical... There's I mean, that word it, again, yeah, right? Yeah, no, I mean, everything depends. Um, so, but usually it's like at some point in time the rights would revert back and and there might be conditions it might be a point in time it might be never what, been exploited never been exploited it might be um or is your account recouped or you know things that, so it just really it can be drafted in different ways so there is no quote unquote typical one it just depends but you know again you're going to hire a music attorney when you are doing your deal and so it's going to it's going to get negotiated properly so the other day yeah. somebody either sent me an email or i saw it on our forum or a facebook page somebody was having a fit about people exploiting musicians works 
and they had a real problem with the word exploit. See, the well, musician always getting yeah, exploited. Always getting exploited. <laughs> but you know what? It sounds like a dirty word, but I love it. I love exploitation <laughs> because exploitation means that you are making money. Yeah. That means that the song is getting used and there are payments due for the song and you are making money as a writer, as a publisher, as a rights owner. I think people see it so, like, you know, prostitution or slavery right, exactly. or, you know. It sounds like selling out, yeah. exploiting, right. no. Carrying you around a thousand pound it. brick yeah, on your no, back. Just learn to love the word exploitation because that means you're making some money. Um, there's a tax yeah. question from Texas Poly, but I, whoops. I, I don't it, deal it, with tax. Yeah, I was so, going to say you're not a tax attorney. Yeah. Um, well, while you're looking, I'll answer Lamar Franklin's question. Oh, good. He said, Thank Attorney you. Jacobson, yes. Is it advisable to seek an attorney prior to signing an agreement for a placement? Yes, it is. Anytime you're signing an agreement, especially an agreement where you don't know exactly what you're signing, hire an attorney. Or have a publisher that's good. Because if yeah. you have a publisher and a right. really good publisher, which yeah. many of them yeah. are, yeah. they're going to negotiate the best deal for them. You get to ride on their coattails. Pretty much. So, yeah. um, okay, uh, Robbie Hancock has a question. For cover songs, for trailers, uh, etc., do we have to buy the license for the cover or will the library slash publisher take care of that once the client is interested? Hmm. Yes. There's a second part. Of, I know yeah, I'm reading um, the second part. Also. Awesome. Sorry, now they're just going to watch us read for a yeah. minute. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, it depends who's um, depends who's like asking for the cover because I mean if you're working with the publisher to make the cover, then you're not going to have to go through that process, and then they're going to place it in the trailer. But I, I've got a big know. publisher that would give me a list of a hundred. Get yeah. these hundred songs. No, covered. I've done that with publishers, yeah. and they've said, "Do any of your clients want to do this?" Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, so if you're working with the publisher to do the cover, then you're not going to have to go that route. If you're making the cover on your own, as like on spec to see if anybody wants it, then that's a different story. You might need to get the license. If somebody's, if like a the the production company making the trailer is requesting the cover then potentially they're going to pay for it i mean it's so it depends on the situation yeah okay uh, somebody has a uk library deal that retitled the queue should i tell my pro my queue's already registered under the original title um well okay did i read that loud enough for everybody to hear uh, <laughs> no read it louder please. okay so this um sonolab one said i got an agreement with the library in the united kingdom they retitled my queue should i tell my pro about it my queue is already registered under the original title thanks a lot you're welcome um so I, I don't think it ever hurts to tell the PRO um, about it. Uh, the way if if the library in the UK is licensing for UK productions, then PRS is going to be collecting performance royalties and then remitting them to your PRO here in the US. Um, but again, I mean, I th think we're going to go back to cue sheets. Um, but you know, there's no harm in telling your PRO and then asking them how they want to go about it or just making them aware of it um, so that they know what to look for. Uh, it always yeah. comes up, uh, so I'm going to interject this right now. Yeah. When something gets played on a 
TV show in the UK and you are an American registered with ASCAP or BMI, it's going to take at least six months longer for you to get paid than if you were here and the thing was used in the United States. Right. Well, and vice versa, because if there's someone, a UK writer registered with PRS and then they they have a song placed and performed here, um, then ASCAP or BMI is going to collect and then remit that money to PRS. Who's thinking? <laughs> I had this hair hanging in my face. I wonder if she saw that. Okay. I wonder if they could that, see that. That wasn't obvious at all, Michael. Um, yeah, it takes a long time. So yeah. people get very frustrated. It's like, you guys hooked me up with a company, a publisher in the UK, and I got something in a TV show, and it's been 90 days, and I haven't seen a penny yet. Yeah. And it's going to take more like half a year to a year. Yeah. Um, pipeline, we usually like to allow like a year for pipeline income. As a lawyer, how much do you charge to read over contracts and give advice? I'm a composer and I saw my first contract yeah. today to sign. They asked me to... Sure to get a lawyer or waive your right to a lawyer. Not sure if this is a proper question. Curious to see if your company offers that service. Yes, I review contracts. I review all different kinds of music contracts. And I would say, why don't you contact me through my website at themusicindustrylawyer.com and we can discuss fees then. That's or you can have an that. internet show and then you can get her over here and ask her stuff about you. <laughs> <laughs> Even on weekends. Uh, okay, we will write you a song asks, Aaron, how much more complicated is licensing a song when there are four writers four, <laughs> and four publishing companies? Is there usually one designated? This is a really good question. Yeah, is there is a really one good designated question. spokesperson for all four? No, they're all going to handle their own share usually. I mean, unless there's some agreement between them, but since there are four publishers involved, um, probably not they're probably all going to handle their own share um, and then it's up to people to communicate and surprisingly a lot of the publishers don't communicate with each other which is very strange but um, you know communicate with your co-writers or, or you know the publishers should communicate with each other um, but the, but there's other cases where it actually works out really well where the one publisher has been able to negotiate a higher fee and then everybody benefits so um, you know, especially if like you're an indie publisher and you're with, you know, and one of the co-writers is with a major publisher. Yeah. Um, you know, it just kind of depends who you're dealing with, but usually, no, there's not going to be one spokesperson for all four of them unless there's some agreement designating that. Yeah, so, um, pipeline income oh. equals write, submit, forget, and repeat. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I moved it. It's on the speaker back there oh, now. Yeah, so you guys can That's almost true. see it. Um, okay, thank you, Aaron, for answering my question. Uh, You're I will contact you on your website. Okay. Uh, let's see. Kenta Potter wants to know, how different mm-hmm. does an arrangement of a public domain song need to be from the original to claim a writer's share? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't need to be, like, so dramatically different that it's now become, like, a new song. But um, Right, you it know, has but no it, value if it's yeah, not recognizable. Right, but it needs to have enough originality to it that you can claim copyright on that arrangement because if you do it just you know like so true to the original one then it's you're not adding anything new that's original to claim ownership of. So, so it's just cool. doing it faster yeah. if you keep the same lyric and the same melody yeah. but you take a lullaby and make a punk song out of punk tempo out of it can you claim any rights because well, you made it faster and gave it attitude? I mean, I would say faster, no. I mean, if you, 
changed elements of it, then, you know, potentially. Um, you know, we're talking about an arrangement. So what do you do when you do an arrangement? Usually you're making things a little bit different. You're situating instruments and sonic elements and things a little but bit But you're not really changing the no, melody or the lyrics because then it's, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there has to be something to it that, that it's not just a straight, like, you know, where it's just exactly like the Going back to yeah. the punk lullaby, I guess you put the diaper pin in the kid's nose instead right. of the diaper. <laughs> Sorry. You really like these, these punk things. Uh, well, we we like do a lot of punk listings. Okay. Uh, and I don't actually listen to that much punk music. Yeah. Um, I was already past that age-wise. Yeah. Uh, Polly wants to know, uh, do you have a trusted source to find out if a public domain song is still PD? Anything published in 1922 or earlier should be PD, but there are exceptions. Well, there are exceptions. Usually it um, also has to do with, you know, some that are not in PD or maybe arrangements. Um, but, or then there's issues like Happy Birthday and right. things like that where, the, you know, they're relying on other copyrights or notices or things like that but basically um there's no i mean there is the copyright database but there's no um you know that's not necessarily the most reliable source because there's so many listings so i would say you would need to uh contact a music attorney or uh, have a copyright search report done i mean if you really need to be um that's or you could do the it. cheap way like I do. When we write listings, sometimes the companies that are running the listing will say will reference um, something that's PD. I always check three resources on mm -hmm. the internet. If it shows up, and I look to see if the lists are identical, then I don't trust it. But if the lists yeah. are different and it yeah. shows up on three lists, somebody did their homework somewhere, yeah. I'm assuming. Because really, if you're doing a cover of a PD thing to submit to a music library, are you going to expend the time, energy, and capital to research that, I'd just move on to another song that you yeah. know damn well is, is PD. Yeah, and it depends how badly you want to use it. Right. Um, I saw a question from Gloria Covington. Is it, woo, come back, come back, Gloria. Something about a writer's share and a publisher. Uh, hard to work yeah. out a deal when you claim ownership of publishing as well as owning the writer's share. So. Is it hard to? I think, Work out what deal? I think what? she means, is it ever possible to um, do a deal where you get to keep some of the publisher's share and all the writer's share? Or is it just... A deal with a, the publisher? A, yeah, or is it a given that they're always going to get 100% of the publishing? No, because, I mean, like in a co-publishing agreement, the income split is 75-25, which 75 going to the writer, so that's half of the publisher's share of income going to the writer. <sighs> my props from last week are gone. You'd be so proud of me. I took a paper plate, yeah. cut little holes in for my eyes so yeah. I could see myself, and put tape down the middle of the plate yeah. and did like 50-50. Right. <laughs> the pie chart. The publishing yeah. pie chart. Yes, yeah. exactly. We're on my face. Yeah. It was really good. Brings me back to my school days. <laughs> really? They made you wear a, Not, a paper no, plate? No, but, you know, but every, like, whiteboard or chalkboard, it was like... Here's the pie. Draw the line down the middle. 50-50. You know, now we're in co-publishing. Put the line over here. 75-25. I mean, co-publishing yeah. used to be a commonly used... It is still commonly used. Not in the music library world. Yeah, no, so not much. in the library world. Well, actually, I get a lot of 
not so much production libraries, but like placement house pitching right. companies. And I get a lot of people going, I got an offer for a co-publishing deal. And I go, great, I'll review it for you. And then they send it over and I go, this is not a co-publishing deal. <laughs> so, I mean, but but it's like a lot of these pitching companies, like they call it a co-publishing deal, but it's not They're structured. Not oh, yeah, it's not structured. It's structured more like a songwriter deal. So... I'll tell you yeah. something about that at dinner because okay. I don't want to okay. say it publicly. Okay. I'm sorry, you guys, but yeah. there's some things a man just can't share. <laughs> as a producer, Robbie Hancock yeah. wants to know, as a producer working with singers for cover songs, uh, if it is not a work-for-hire situation, what would be the best agreement out there to use to rep the song and retain the POA? What's Power that? of attorney. Oh, thank you, to yeah. protect my contacts. Um. Well, you could potentially own the master if you're the producer or own part of the master or administer the master. So in any of those, you would have the control and then also share in the income, depending on what situation you do. Um, okay, so now they're arguing with each other. <laughs> Everybody's okay. playing, I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer. Right. Well, uh, I'm the lawyer, people. <laughs> that's right. She's the lawyer. And if you like what you're learning on this channel, subscribe. Okay, uh, we have seven minutes left. Oh, oh, okay. It's going by yeah, really that quickly. Went fast. <laughs> yeah, um, pie plate is really divided, or is really divided. That wasn't a question; it was a statement. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's the likelihood of a new writer getting a co-pub right. deal with no pipeline or leverage? That's Slim's a great question. The, yeah, yeah, I mean it's pretty slim, um, unless you've got somebody bigger attached um, to you in some way, like a co-writer or a, um, an artist uh, that's going to record the song. Um, or I wouldn't say a co-pub, like you could do, do like a, a deal with like a placement house um, that's a co-pub uh, with, with much less leverage than you probably would with an actual music publisher. Jim Unless Car they love the song. Jim Carvalho's question, I, I don't really get, but Let's maybe see. you will. Uh, when that streaming TV takes over all those jailbroke fire stick products, what will happen with payments? Oh, he's talking mm -hmm. about uh, dongles. What will happen yeah. with payments, especially when many publishers are giving blanket deals to these internet shows and don't pay for most internet shows. So he's saying... Translate that. Uh, okay, <laughs> translation is... Yeah. Um, uh, that's going to yeah. be 350 bucks right. an hour, young lady. Um, for Amazon, yeah. for Hulu, for all those shows, um, anything that comes through a little thumb drive yeah. dongle mm -hmm. thing, um, and they're paying crap, uh, what's going to happen when, all the, when everything is that way and nobody is, is hooked up to AT&T U-verse okay. or a satellite? That's a We're really good question. We're going to have to figure question. it out. I mean, That's, this is like a whole new... Somebody better get on medium. that. Yeah. Like, really fast, because it is true. I, at least, I mean, we are not the most technically advanced household um, in the world. We're older, <laughs> okay. but we we did watch um, an entire. We binge watch an entire series on uh, Netflix the other night. Yeah, and I gotta say, the thought did cross my mind, knowing that people really get paid squat. Yeah, 
yeah. for that stuff. And right, then, and Netflix keeps wanting to do direct performance licenses too, which I say no. <laughs> How's this? They still have blanket licenses with ASCAP and BMI, so there's like no benefit, really. They're trying to change the model, but I mean, legislation is moving so much slower than the technology. There's no way that we can help these guys win. That's why we're working on copyright reform. That's why right now the copyright royalty board hearings are happening um, to determine the mechanical rates for the next five years, and the NMPA and the NSAI are lobbying on behalf of writers and publishers to try and get the rates increased and they have a petition as well to sign. I've got to say I went on an NSAI lobbying trip (coughs) once with Bart Herbison and his gang uh, and was mightily impressed with how much access we do have as Americans to um, our Congress people, congressmen and women that um, as a matter of fact Hillary Clinton and I were standing this close she was on her cell phone we were back to back and my call was so important I couldn't understand what was going on in her call but is when she was still senator but it it is quite amazing that you can put together a little group and you can go lobby your congressperson and I don't know if they actually listen that's what democracy is supposed to be about right they were polite (laughs) I gotta say they were polite and uh, one of the senators even pulled out a guitar and played us a song Look at that. Yep. Orrin Hatch. Orrin Hatch plays guitar. All right. Um, Okay. Uh, Sasha Rocks. What is the status of the consent agreement discussion concerning streaming services? As far as the mechanical rates? I'm guessing. Um, Well, I mean, that's just, they just started arguments. um, And how long do you think it'll go? The CRB doesn't have to decide until December. So it's going to be the the rest of this year. Yeah. Okay. So let's sign the NMPA petition, guys. Where can they find that? On your um, website? There is a link through my website. I did write another article that's on Forbes that like exploded, which was awesome. Um, and um, so I put a link to the petition in that. But I think the NMPA website has it as well. I forgot two questions on okay. the sheet, so I've got to go back to All the right, sheet. I have a copyright question. If I file only an SR application for an original work which specifies in the author-created mm-hmm. section that I am registering the sound recording, comma, music, comma, lyrics, am I protecting both the work, meaning the underlying cop- composition, as well as the sound recording, meaning my recorded performance, or must I also submit a PA application in order to cover the music and lyrics? Thank also, you. Also submit a PA application. Wow. I didn't know that. You want to make sure it's covered. Because the sound recording is its an SR application, which is the sound recording application. So the performance of the music and lyrics is covered, but I would always do a PA. I, I would think that the SR is not that important unless you're a big star. Well... I mean, if, if you, the master is getting used, I mean, yeah, it's probably not as important. I would always do, just, you know, it's, yeah. it's 35 or $55, depending if you have co-writers, just do the PA. And David Hollinsworth wants to know, is it really necessary to copyright, copyright production right. music, which well, we covered already. Yeah, we covered. I mean, I would say yes, you should always copyright things, but um, or register things with copyright. Um, but as Michael said, that there are people that don't because they don't feel that it's important because they don't think anybody's going to infringe. And even if they do, it's a short queue and they don't really care. So um, ultimately, it's your choice. But, you know, I'm the lawyer. I always advocate for registering. <laughs> She probably sat in the first row in law school, too, right? 
No. Really? No. I would definitely just have you pay you for it. Just because you sit in the first row doesn't mean that, you know, you're paying attention or not paying attention. I saw Paper Chase. <laughs> I know stuff. I didn't. <laughs> really? It was a good movie. You'd like it. Um, okay, one more question. You know what? Uh, these guys are still hitting us with questions. We'll hang out yeah. for like another 10 minutes? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, thank you. Um, Ed Sheeran just had... Uh, right. Ed Sheeran keeps getting sued. <laughs> Gee, why is that? Because I, he's a ginger. Yeah. Everybody loves to sue gingers. Well, basically, like they, I forget the title of the song, but the last song they just had to give co-writing credit. They, he didn't get um, sued, I think, but there was... There was a discussion, and he the, gave up some co-writing credit. Uh, the one about your scent is on the still on the sheets Something or whatever. Yeah, like it's actually a really yeah. good song. I like it, Sharon. I think he's a very talented young man. Um, nothing from that. Okay. Well, but, somebody said it's a CYA move on Ed Sheeran's part, and I'm assuming that means to adding the writers. It's not really a CYA. It's more of a like, don't get sued. <laughs> you know, because he's gonna get sued if he doesn't give it up. So. It's a DGS. Yeah. Uh, Ken DePotter wants to know, what, as artists, can we do to support the BMI ASCAP court cases? Would calling our representatives or senators help? Um, it could, yeah. If you go, um, I think it's on the ASCAP website. There is, a, like, a, a list of the representatives, and I think they had, like, a template message or something like that. So, um, yeah, check your PRO website, and and they have information on how to get involved. Very delicately. How are some artists getting sued for similar sound recordings that don't infringe on copyright law and others can have success and placements? I don't understand Is that question. Is he talking about sound-alikes? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't really understand. Okay. Kano, if you can clarify, we will try and get to... Whoa, I just yeah. scrolled all you guys like way out there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Song. Oh, it doesn't mean you mm -hmm. can sue them. So now we're talking yeah. about... Uh, Things was, that sound similar. Yeah, which, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we're very careful. None of the other companies that kind of do what we mm -hmm. do put language, but we put it in every listing. The, you know, they're looking for something that's in the general ballpark right. of, or would appeal to fans of. Right. We don't... But not... Yeah. Copying. Make, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, well, I mean, it's a fine line, and the thing is, is that, you know, if... I mean, that's sort of the argument with the Blurred Lines case is, you know, is it copyright infringement, which the court has said it is, or is it, um, you know, just like an homage or it's similar or whatever. But the thing is, is that the test... I like that, well, homage. The, yes, an homage. <laughs> they said they wanted to write a song like Marvin Gaye, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the, the test for copyright infringement is not exact copying the test is substantial similarity so in that these are situations where you get musicologists to make reports and say how similar they actually are that must be a really fun day in court probably not <laughs> wow depends how interested you are yeah. Yeah, that's, i know for two parties yeah. it's a very yeah. interesting day exactly. in court uh, the judge is probably like dear god when is lunch yeah um, um what? Yeah, what about blues progressions? That's a very valid, uh, in, in right. light of that whole right. issue. It's like everything is a 1-4-5 progression. Yeah. Well, and then somebody, Mojo Bone, is bringing up the Creedence Clearwater Revival court case of John Fogarty supposedly plagiarizing John Fogarty. Right. Which, 
That is such a fun <laughs> case. And I saw him in concert, and before he sang the song, he talked about that case. Nice. And I think I was the only nerd in the audience <laughs> be like, yeah, court case. <laughs> so I was, like, so excited that he talked about it. Um, but, yeah, the, <laughs> there was a publisher that owned the original. Somebody <laughs> shut her up. <laughs> no. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Anyway, sorry. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a case where the original publisher from the Queen's Clearwater days owned the copyright to the song. So then when John Fogarty Solo came up doing his other song that supposedly infringed, they sued him. And, you know, technically, I mean, could he plagiarize his own song? I mean, probably not. But in that case, somebody else owned the copyright. So they did have the right to pursue action against someone who potentially did copy the song yeah but it didn't go anywhere because i think the jury got really excited that john fogarty <laughs> showed up in court playing his guitar so and you know those things happen there is a celebrity factor in, in court cases just remember so. that when you guys get sued show up with yeah. the guitar and oh, you're good somebody um so Ken also asked about copyright for a uh, parody song and our permissions needed for the original song's artist. It's always a parody. Um, there's a fine line because a, technically, well, a parody can be argued that it's fair use, but it is also a derivative work. So the better way to go about it is to seek a license from the original publisher. For example, Weird Al does go to every publisher for the songs that he wants to parody because he's cool like that and he does get an original he does get a license from the original publisher um so that is the better way to go about it rather than he's probably set the standard sued. actually yeah. the precedent you know i a lot of people still come to me wanting to use fair use and i still you know i try and push them in the direction of getting the license so any idea what he might pay um for Depends license on, on what him. song he's I mean, they're all big hits. Yeah, they're all big hits. Like if you're I doing mean, a Michael Jackson song, that's right. got to be a hefty license. But, you know, it's also, you know, I, I haven't done the deal, so I really shouldn't comment on what they're going to be um, because I, I don't represent Weird Al, so. Um, Kano says, I like the way Matt Hurt put it. That's one of our members that okay. was on the show with me a couple of weeks. I'm suing everyone for ripping me off. I'll use the money to pay the people I stole from. <laughs> There you go. Um, question mm -hmm. from uh, We Will Write You a Song. Uh, why do they want to make the head of the copyright position a presidential appointment? I don't know. That's a little more into politics than I get into. Watch last night's episode of Homeland and you'll understand that. Um, <laughs> everything in my world relates to a TV show, either on HBO or Showtime. Um, Okay, one more question, because we are just about there. Uh, do you have to grant a license for a DW? Direct work? I'm, I'm not sure what a DW is. I don't know. If you add one more letter, for you're in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, somebody else said, should you register all your tracks with your PRO even before you have an agreement with the publisher? Yes, you should. You should be your own publisher before you have an agreement with the publisher. Um, so you should register with PRO as a writer, as a publisher, and then register the songs. Okay. That's my recommendation. Because she's a music attorney. Um, 
Okay, last question. Richard Charles. Hey, I spoke to Richard earlier today. Is Hi, it, Richard. Yeah, nice man. Is it a legal concept when an artist or record company re-releases a song? A legal concept as far as what? I don't understand. Okay. We need more to that question. Um, okay, so we've got time for one more. Okay. <laughs> um, There's a lot of, like, question fragments coming out. Mojo says, I'd oh, like to see. Oh, derivative work, maybe? Oh, that's what DW was, yeah. Now I don't remember the question. I don't <laughs> Something about getting a license, I think. Well, people are saying they liked the show, so that was good. Thank you, Rock and Rod. Yeah. Appreciate that. Glad you uh, liked it. Glad you guys are hanging in. I know we've gone an hour and 40 minutes, hour and 38 minutes. Wow. Oh, that's uh, right. I forgot it started at 4. I kept yeah. looking at the clock going, but it's only 5.30. No, it's, it's an hour yeah. and 38 minutes. Uh, email question. Can you tell us your contact information oh, again? Yes. My website is themusicindustrylawyer.com, and there's a contact form on there you can email me through. Um, and then the website with the templates is indieartistresource.com. Okay, Sasha Rock says, do you have to grant a license for a, what did DW stand for? It might be derivative work for a parody, parody. if the parody is offensive to the writer. Oh, Um, that's a great question. It's not, do you have to grant a, oh, do do you as the publisher or the writer have to grant a license? No, you can refuse it. Um, That's part of the power of being the copyright holder is that you can grant or refuse requests for derivative work. So if it's offensive to you, you can say, no, you cannot do that song, that derivative work um, or release it. So. All right. Well, with that, we need to wrap this puppy up. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Um, my pleasure. You are really, you're good at this. (laughs) Thank Um, you. Yeah, you should go to law school. I did that already. (laughs) And your websites are? Themusicindustrylawyer.com and IndieArtistResource.com. I'm really not as red as I look in that screen right now. No. I've worked so hard to make this. He looks normal. Yeah, I'm not red, uh, not sunburned. I didn't even leave the house this weekend. And remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel and like us. And we will be back next week. I'm trying to put together a show on a topic that we've never done in our seven-year history of doing the show. So let's see if I can pull it off. Um, I'm not even going to give you a hint. Anyway, with that, I bid you guys adieu. Where am I? Where's my audience? Thank you very much, Aaron. And we will see you guys next week. Bye, you guys.